Oh, hey, you're listening to Pep Talk, a podcast launched during the national lockdown in April 2020 to celebrate and support our favourite New Zealand businesses. Join Grace Creft, ex-lawyer and former owner of Sweet Bakery and Cakery to hear about how some of our favourite businesses built their brands, the ups and downs along the way, and what we can do to support them, both now and once business as usual returns. So, are you ready for a little pep talk on your coffee break? Then here's your host, Grace. This is a really cool story today guys. I am very excited to share this one with you. This week we are hearing all about 1% Collective which is this really cool New Zealand founder platform that makes it super easy to give 1%, you guessed it, of your income to charity every week. So Pat who we're talking to today found his way to the 1% Collective like a lot of us do a little bit of a roundabout way via working in photography, design, music and magazines. He was living in Burma managing a charity at the time and while he was there he just really got to see firsthand what a huge difference small amounts of money can make to people's lives who are going through a tough time. Now, years later down the track, 1% Collective is thriving. They are supporting 14 New Zealand-based charities with over $2 million of donations from their donors. And it means that charities like Kibosh are receiving over $200,000 of donations over the years. Like I said, this is just a really cool story of how little things can add up to something much bigger than themselves. So join me to hear all about it from Pat, as well as learning about things like how he balances all of this on top of his day job, the surprising impact that COVID has had on the charity, the beauty of putting yourself out there, uh, their plans for the future, and of course, the answer to the question on all of your lips, Brittany or Christina. Here goes. Hi, Pat. Good evening and welcome to Pep Talk. How are you? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks for having me on the show. Good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, so I said good evening, which doesn't actually happen that often with Pep Talk, but I was just saying to Pat before we hit record that it's bang on bedtime in my house with a three-year-old, so if you hear screaming in the background, you know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) And Pat has a cat that he's going to wrangle as well, so... Could be interesting. <laughs> yes, we'll see. We'll see if she leaves us in peace. <laughs> yes, hopefully both of them do. We'll be good. <laughs> yeah. So I'm very interested to hear your story, and I actually don't know um, that much about your personal background and things as well. So I want to dive into that and and find out what else you're up to, as well as One Percent Collective. But before we do, we, no one gets off the hook without with coming on Pep Talk without doing our this or that questions, which is the way that we like to get, just warm up and get started. So, are you ready for some quick fire questions, Pat? For sure, hit me with them. They are pretty. They're pretty serious. Okay, so you should <laughs> you should probably be quite nervous because your first one is Brittany or Christina. Oh, I've got to, <laughs> I've got to say I've got to say Brittany. We started watching the documentary the other week. Haven't finished it, so I'm I'm going to say Brittany. Good, you're in the zone. I'm, I'm, I'm intrigued to know more. Yeah. Yeah, and if anyone does know Britney, then that was a really good Britney pun that I just threw in there with It's in the Zone, because I think that's one of her albums, so I'm going to claim that. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> nice, yeah. I feel like a certain age person will get that, but some, you know, if you're too young, then you might not get the Britney or Christina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. You pass the test. 
<laughs> All right, next up we've got minimalist or extravagant. I'm definitely minimalist. Yeah, uh, my partner is the complete opposite. So I'm, <laughs> I've tried, I've tried to push my minimalism ways on her cupboards and uh, too many <laughs> shoes and um, not succeeded that well, to be honest. I was going to say that could make for some interesting interior design decisions at your house. Yeah, yes, definitely. Our, our house is overran by plants. Um, oh, which, yes, good. Which is beautiful, but um, you know, I always tease that you know, an, another weekend, another plant. There's gonna, we're gonna run out of room at some point. <laughs> that sounds like my house as well. And then now, <laughs> recently, I've started propagating them all as well. So now they're like breeding. So yes. Everywhere, <laughs> but in the best possible way. Yeah. Nice. All right. Then we've got plan ahead or be spontaneous. Plan ahead. Yeah. I think. I, I think it's. I, I live in the world of to-do lists quite often, so I think uh, kind of planning ahead seems to take the stress off my brain. Mm, I bet you do. Yeah, I think like a, anyone that's kind of running an operation of any kind kind of has to be a planning ahead kind of person. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> if, if, if you don't, then uh, you're going to forget a lot of things. Yeah. All right. We've got scoop ice cream or popsicles. Ooh, scoop ice cream. In a, in a waffle cone. Yes. Love yeah. a waffle cone. Yeah. Definitely. I think it, it does kind of depend a little bit on what the day is like. Like if it's really, really hot, sometimes a popsicle just hits the spot. Yeah. That, that's, I think it's those, what are they called? Like cyclones or something. They kind of remind me of my youth. So, yeah. you know, sometimes you just, one of those in the sun and you kind of brings you back to when you were kind of 12, you know, and when Scotland had sunshine on those few days a year. <laughs> so you had like one a year. Yeah, yeah pretty much. Yeah. That was it. <laughs> Fine. All right, last one. We've got, would you rather run incredibly fast or jump incredibly high? Ooh, probably run incredibly fast. I think I'm a, I'm a bit of a, a mountain biker and a skier, so I think <laughs> speed, speed is something that I uh, enjoy. Nice. Yeah, that was quite a. That's quite a funny one. I've never. I don't think I've asked one like that before, but I quite yeah, like it. Yeah, that is. That's good. I quite like that. Yeah, it's yeah. Like I said, very serious. So well done. You smashed it. You did well. <laughs> Got past. <laughs> All right. Yes, you did. So now we're going to move on to hearing a bit about your personal background because you dropped in a little nugget there about Scotland. So that gives us a bit of a clue. Mm. Um, maybe take us through just quick kind of background bio on Pat just to set the scene, like things like where you grew up and did you study at university and did you have early jobs and things like that a little mm. bit. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was actually my... Um, my father was in, um, he was born in Scotland and um, living in Aberdeen in the 70s, you pretty much had no option but to get into the oil industry. Um, it was just, you know, what, what all the kind of 20 something year old um, kind of guys got into. So um, he ended up moving to, um, him and my mum ended up moving to Brunei um, to work for, I think it was Shell or, you know, an oil company back then. And um so that's where me and my brother um, were born in the kind of tropical rainforest of Brunei with kind of, oh, wow. I think we had like 14 kittens and one cat and like six puppies and a dog all living in the backyard and, you know, um, snakes sometimes kind of running around. Um, Very but, exotic. Yeah, obviously I can't remember any of it because we left when um, I was about two. So, um, and then went to Oman. So another obviously very hot hot country and that lasted they were there for about a year and then back to Scotland so it was kind of this uh, yeah this three years of um, 
very hot kind of interesting countries and then back and then they were back home to the freezing cold of Scotland where I lived until I um, until I was pretty much um, 20 I kind of what was it 19 my brain my brain can't remember 19 or 20 I ended up kind of uh, adventuring away from there but um, before I kind of went on my travels I I really got interested in photography and just you know geeked out on the camera magazines and um, was you know was trying to kind of um, shoot as much as I could but I didn't really have a, a decent camera I can't remember I think I just had some some point and shoot kind of you know film camera and then um, I was lucky enough that my dad one birthday kind of um, bought me a D, um, an SLR I'm sorry I went to say DSLR but definitely wasn't D you know definitely it wasn't digital back then and showing SLR. your age again yeah yeah and um and that was awesome because that kind of you know gave me that first opportunity to really um, just shoot with nice lenses and um, and then I, I tried to get my teachers in school to teach photography and they eventually they said if I got two mates to say they'd do it as well they would but the um, the teacher just kind of signed a slip for us to basically go away and um, he didn't teach us anything so we just kind of got to go home which wasn't really the plan so um, I had to sign up for a night class um, when I was 16 and did a night class in photography. And luckily a friend at school, her dad was also doing it. So he gave me a ride um, back into town every every week for that. And, um, and yeah, so that kind of brought my love for photography where I ended up doing two years of, um, of studying in, in Aberdeen. I tried to get into university in Edinburgh, but they, they didn't let me, which, you know, obviously it, at the time you're a bit gutted but you know now that I'm living in beautiful New Zealand I'm like you know what if I'd studied there maybe I wouldn't have ended up here so yeah, yeah. it all it all worked out well so what was the connection between studying there and coming to New Zealand well I had a little in between first where I went to Australia for a year um, essentially as I mentioned we don't get much sunshine in Scotland so um, yeah it was when you hit when you hit that age you know the Kiwis obviously kind of head over to Europe and often go to London, we, we kind of head to Australia and go, where's there's some beaches and sunshine and beautiful weather. Because you um, grew up watching Home and Away on the TV. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Eh? <laughs> I actually I actually did meet Alf Stewart when I went to Australia. Amazing. You know? Dream come true. Like, I know. It's like it's I true. made it in life. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's... So I was doing a lot of photography just for fun while traveling, you know, had my backpack and was just me, myself, just kind of meeting people along the way and going wherever the wind kind of took me and a little bit of work on the way. And then um, I did a month in New Zealand because my brother used to ski. He used to come down here to race and he did it twice, I think. And he told me how amazing Wanaka was. So um, in my kind of month escape from um, Australia to kind of check out New Zealand, I went to Wanaka and was like, wow, this place is really cool. You know, maybe I should come back and do a ski season. And um, that's essentially what I did. I went back to Scotland and worked, worked for kind of six months, saved up more money, applied for my working holiday visa for New Zealand and, and then came back over, bought a car in Christchurch and drove to Wanaka. And then that was it. Kind of didn't know a single person, but um, ended up just coming back for three winters in a row and you know eventually never left wow that's so cool it seems so foreign to hear that now like with everything that's changed in the world i'm like what how did you just go back to scotland and then come back again like it feels feels so impossible but like what an amazing experience for you as a young person that's uh, i kind of kind of feel sad for that kind of you know ski season kind of travel you know traveling between different kind of seasons like northern hemisphere southern hemisphere it's like yeah that's not really possible yeah, it may not be for a while as well. No, yeah. that's it. 
Yeah. So did you ha- did you work in photography as well in that kind of time of your life? Um, not really. Um, to be honest, when I was in Australia, I did, you know, the worst backpacking jobs you could ever kind of imagine doing because you just kind of were trying to find little ways to get money. And it was just photography wasn't wasn't one of them. I, I kind of had a pretty basic kind of that still had that kind of SLR that I'd used. Um, but I do remember one of the seasons in Wanaka, I was, still, I was doing photography for I was working in a ski shop down there. So I was kind of taking photos of skiing, snowboarding. And I remember selling my first, you know, snowboarding image to a magazine and seeing it printed in this magazine. And I think I got like $200 and that was like amazing. Cause I was like, I'm, yeah. I'm published. I'm in this magazine. They put it in an advert. I was, and uh, yeah, I look back now and laugh that it was like, wow, that was, you know, that was just, just the beginning of kind of getting into the world of uh, photography. Mm, big deal at the time though. Totally, yeah, that's it. You know, I'm, I don't even know if I've got the, the the magazine that it was in anywhere. I'm sure it's somewhere floating around <laughs> in some portfolio box I've got. Oh, I believe. Yeah. yeah. And so at some stage you never left New Zealand. And what have you been doing here since then? Yeah, pretty much. So I am... Um, on my last season in Wanaka, I, yeah, I was essentially going, how can I stay in this country? It's awesome. And, um, and I kind of realized that a really nice kind of follow on from studying photography was in graphic design. Um, and so I started looking at where you could study graphic design in New Zealand that was not a kind of three or four year degree and wasn't going to cost um, a huge amount of money and ended up coming to Wellington and doing a nine month course here. So, um, yeah, pretty much jumped in the in the kind of car, came up here, I think only three weeks before I was coming up here, I didn't actually have anywhere to live, but luckily bumped into a friend in the ski industry that said I could stay with him and his wife, and um, and then um, ended up um, study, studying for nine months, and then got offered a job to teach at the um, same college, pretty much on my final week, um, which I kind of laughed, because, you know, I was just obviously finishing, but they were like, hey, you're you're kind of a mature student, you know, you're, uh, you're motivated, you know what you're doing, you know the software, uh, we've got this night class that we uh, need someone to teach. So um, I kind of got thrown in the deep end of teaching um, teaching a night class of old people who were, um, you know, old, older than me, wiser than me, and but I kind of had, um, I guess, more uh, more design knowledge and skills that I could pass on, and, um, and I ended up then working full-time through the day as well, teaching and um, graphic design and um that was an amazing kind of opportunity to i guess just um really ramp up my knowledge in the kind of technical especially in the technical side of design and and all the adobe products and and kind of mixing that with my photography that i was still doing almost every single weekend i was photographing musicians um, in wellington and that was really about four years of kind of photographing musicians almost every weekend until eventually I started getting paid for some of it as well, which was like mind blowing. It's like I can be in the front row or the side of stage with these musicians and now I'm actually getting paid for it. So that was a huge kind of change, I guess, in, um, in my, um, I guess, experiences, career and um, connections and just led to a whole bunch of future things. Hmm. And so where, where does the 1% Collective start, part of the story slot in? Like, is that something that had been brewing in your mind while all of this was going on or did it just hit you one day? Yeah, it kind of, it, it kind of um, came together from a mixture of things. So because with the photography, I've been running um, photographing musicians and creatives and I ran my own free street 
um, publication called Exposure Lifestyles. It was it was pretty much you know I would just find ways to print it. I had like um, people like um, mandatory clothing would like sponsor the back cover, and people like Icebreaker would give some money, and Rick's Royale, and all these kind of small businesses would kind of chip in a little amount so that I could afford the print costs. But I was telling the stories of a lot of up and coming musicians as well as amazing people like Taika Waititi um, and you know Brent McKenzie and Warren Maxwell and Lady Six. And so it was this beautiful kind of like mix of creatives that really, um, it was kind of their generosity that inspired everything. Just getting to meet them and have conversations. I was like, you are all awesome. You're all like so friendly, so giving of your time and your talents and what you do, you know, what you, the joy you bring us through your music. That um, I kind of did seven issues of this magazine, you know, didn't make a dollar. It was really just a fun project on the side. Um, but the final issue that we did, a friend had been volunteering on the Thai-Burma border and I kind of read her email about migrant and refugee children that she was working with and it was all through a Wellington charity. And so I offered to do a project um, with them to kind of um, raise funds and then I was going to do one of our issues of our magazine, make a documentary and um, ended up spending six weeks on the border of Thailand and Burma and um, doing a project called the Good Karma Project which um, was to do a teaching art and photography to the kids on the border because they don't really get any creativity and um, there's no real art class it's just because there's no funding for it it's just you know it's 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 pretty tough situation the kind of thousands of kids that have had to flee Burma and they're in in Thailand um, and that that led to um, again just a a mix of kind of use, using kind of musicians and creatives that I'd known to get involved with projects and artists and um, and it was through that that um, I ended up kind of seeing the I guess the huge difference that just small amounts of money would make over there and um, you know we, we I went over once and there'd just been a fire in this village actually inside Burma and it was like I think there was 28 houses were burnt down with like everything gone and so we got we said to our contact over there we said you know how much would it be to kind of rebuild these houses help help these people get through the next kind of six months or so and it was like four thousand dollars oh wow yeah and and that was through uh, it was a charity called spinning top that i ended up managing for about four or five years and that's funded through the body shop new zealand and um, and it was just like wow you know the small amount of money can like completely change people's lives who are going through such a hard time and don't have any support and you know they live in the jungle of Burma and um, and so it was kind of a blend of um, seeing this the change that small amounts um, of money can make knowing that I had a lot of kind of friends and musicians and creatives that I could lean on to maybe help people in need and then I thought well you know I read a book that inspired me about the idea of one percent and I was like well what if I could collectively bring together my friends my creatives my musicians businesses to give one percent to um, people in need essentially and to to help uh, to help others so such a cool accumulation of all of those things that you'd been doing that kind of just came together kind of gently by the sounds of it like it yeah, not like in a big lightning bolt kind of situation, but just like everything that you'd been doing kind of wove itself together really naturally to take you there. 
that's a, yeah, it was kind of quite an organic thing. You know, I, I never, I never uh, studied, I guess, design and photography to think that I'd be in the jungle of Burma doing spreadsheets. And you're like, why am I suddenly doing spreadsheets and um, for funding, working with villagers? And this is not what I planned, but I'm here and this is great. So let's get on with it. And I'm sure all of those things have just put you in such good stead to be doing what you're doing with 1% and and why it's going so well, which is probably quite a good point to kind of pause and maybe you can tell us, for everyone listening, like tell us a little bit about the 1% Collective and how it actually works and what it actually does, just so that everyone can kind of see the picture of where this is all mm. led. Yeah, so so essentially um, 1% Collective really um, simplifies regular giving. Um, so we at the moment work with 14 Kiwi-based charities, so they're all registered here. A few of them do some work overseas, but they're all, um, they're, you know, their boards are based here. They're registered with the New Zealand Charity Services. And then people can sign up and split one donation between as many of those charities as they want. So it might be one, it might be 14, and then we pass 100% of those donations on to the charities because we we fund ourselves in other ways. And then... We built a platform that makes it super easy and we tell inspiring stories. We, I say we have events, obviously last year kind of uh, mm -hmm. put a bit of a dampener and even we were meant to have one two weeks ago with sustainable coastlines and that got cancelled. So yeah, yeah. events have been a tricky thing, but storytelling and really just simplifying um, regular giving and inspiring people to um, to give um, every week, every month to um, yeah, cool small to medium sized causes that we partner with. Yeah, it's it's really just that concept of the the regular small things adding up, and like that counts to that counts for money in this context, and it counts for a lot of other things in life, right? Like little habits and things, and small changes, and and it's that concept of little things adding up to something bigger than the whole. I think is what you guys have captured so well, and and also I guess the fact that oftentimes it kind of feels like it's too hard to, to know how to help. And I guess you're presenting people with a solution, aren't you? That's like, this is easy, we figure it out, um, it's doable. That is that kind of how it all ha has come across? That's it. Uh, I actually had um, had someone um, that mentioned to me the other week, they said, because uh, they're a 1% collective donor, and they, and they said, oh, I kind of think of 1% um, collective like the Netflix of giving. I was like, I really like that. That's kind of, you know, it's, it's yeah, a, pla a platform that, you know, you, you you kind of have a subscription in a way to like good karma. It's like we all have, you know, we have our, we have our Spotify subscription. We have gym subscription, whatever. It's kind of like just set up a monthly 1% um, of your income and um, know that small causes are doing awesome things with it. So, yeah, that's it. It really is just trying to simplify it and not make it something that, is difficult. Mm, that's a good way of putting it. I like that. And how do you choose who you work with in terms of those charities? So we've got criteria that the board have set over the years, um, and it's all generally small to medium sized organisations. It's like the bigger organisations are doing great work, but they've been around a long time. They've got teams, they've got marketing structures, um, and a lot of the smaller organisations are maybe trying to do things a bit differently, don't have the funding or the brand awareness to kind of get more people donating to them. So we really look at those small to medium-sized charities that um, that we see that we can actually help um, improve how many regular givers they've got. And I mean, I look at some when we started with them and they maybe had like two or three, and then we look at how many are giving through 1% to them and it might be like 200. 
So it, it's really when we started, regular giving was really hard. Most charities had just their bank account on their donation page. So they either had a PayPal button for like one-off donations or they had just their bank account number. And most of them said, you know, nothing really happened with it. Not many people would just automatically go on and set it up. So for us, it was how we could kind of build a platform and technology that actually simplified um, that to help them um, with these regular givers. Um, and some of them, you know, when I say small to medium, over the years, people like Sustainable Coastlines, DCM, you know, they've all grown to be even much bigger organizations doing huge impact. And it's been really cool for us getting to kind of be part of that journey um, with them and just seeing that um, that you were when you joined us quite a small organization, but now you're actually making a huge impact in New Zealand. And on that other side of it, obviously you need to recruit, well, you need the charities to buy in to, to take part of it. I'm guessing that bit's not too hard to, to get them to, to take the money, but you need the to recruit the donors, obviously. And I guess like charities with fundraising like it is a it is can be quite a delicate sort of subject you know mm. you don't want to be like badgering people all the time do you and like kind of forcing them to take part you kind of need to make to make them want to do it of their own accord like gently gently light touch i guess is is that how you've approached it from your end yeah totally like we we kind of looked at the user experience um of of, of essentially like why people weren't going to charity um, and, you know, a lot of it was um, around their experience of charity was people calling them up during dinner time, you know, when we had landlines and sending envelopes in the mail or stopping them in the street. And that was kind of like a negative for everyone. Um, and then, you know, we looked at like, how can we flip that and how can we kind of make the most positive donor experience? So for us, it was all about inspiring people to give, not guilting people to give. Um, and then not asking them for more money because the thing is with us it's regular giving so it's kind of like if you're already giving monthly why would we email you to say can hey can you give more and can you you know start doing this other campaign that we're launching so for us it was just really it was like hey you're already giving we're never going to ask you for more money we want to share stories to inspire you to keep giving so that rather than for a lot of charities you know if someone signs up regular it might be like um, a year or kind of 18 months that they stay with them we've got people now who've been with us eight years giving and that's that's kind of the idea is like we want it to be this yeah this this easy experience that shouldn't kind of get in the way and be negative it should have this positive impact that you're part of this collective that's um that's making making good change um so yeah that that was a lot of what we've done is kind of just look at yeah how can we how can we flip some of the things that weren't um, that, that people weren't enjoying and um, ensure that we're not doing that and looking at some of the you know really inspiring businesses we see in new zealand with beautiful user experiences and kind of going how can we ensure that we have a a good um website a good sign up form we worked with people from zero and trade me on those and just tried to kind of make it as clean as we possibly could yeah have you found that being you know being a charity and having that the heart of it has really helped you get support and help from people to, you know along the way and i guess your networks as well might have helped like how do you get people to help you out with all this stuff yeah i think that's a, like exactly as you said the networks has been like incredible like when i look at the list of musicians comedians and um, video directors producers you know people who have just helped us in the small in in that kind of well i say small but some huge um ways um 
that is like such an amazing thing and and often like i i think what we what we quite often forget is that um you know as much as like us doing something for charity is like helping other people like a lot of the time you know we're also helping ourselves and it's making us feel good about our impact on the world so there's a lot of people who i've thanked immensely for their support but then they've come back to me and said well thanks for the opportunity to give you know that i've had the opportunity to do this because that was a really fun whatever it was project i was involved in volunteering thing um, so it's kind of it's beautiful when you hear that that you know it's it's not just a take 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 from people it is actually like a give and take that everyone's benefiting in many different ways mm, that's a good way of thinking of it and you recently i saw you hit was it two million dollars of donations is that the milestone that you hit recently yeah yeah that's it so it was kind of um yeah just around christmas time or just after christmas um so i think we're now on around about 2.1 million which um just pretty amazing because our average donation it used to be around about ten dollars a week it's probably more closer to kind of thirteen dollars a week now is the average um which is awesome because you know nowadays you can pretty much just get a beer for thirteen dollars so it's kind of yeah. like uh, it's it's amazing that we have you know a, a, a huge collective of people that are giving that or more or less obviously that's kind of the the average amount um that yeah it means we've kind of you know come to the 2.1 million mark and um, and it's and it's funny because I had, we had a board meeting last week and um, and I showed the board a graph of since we launched was 2012 but I guess 2013 was our first kind of financial report that we had to kind of put um, put into the charity services and it's kind of like you know that was only a few, like a few months worth and it was about ten grand but then it was kind of like went like forty thousand sixty thousand a hundred thousand a hundred thousand. A weird year with a 400,000, I won't go into that, but that was a pretty awesome month. 300, 400, this year will probably be about 550,000 as of next week when this financial year ends. So so it's pretty cool, yeah, thinking that kind of each year now will probably be, you know, half a million at least, and hopefully we grow on top of that. Yeah, well, that's great, steady growth. That's amazing. And, like, the money that that means these charities are getting, like, it's quite significant amounts. Like, I think I read that it was Kaibosh, was it, has got, has received, like, over 200 grand of donations. So it's not, like little yeah. it's not like small fry like these people are getting quite significant these charities are getting quite significant donations that they can actually do meaningful projects with i guess that's uh yeah and, and the big the big thing as well is like you know anyone obviously in the business world will know how important it is to um financially forecast um so that you can actually plan um your your year or more and and that's always hard with charities when when it's very up and down with grants and and kind of one-off donations or campaigns where like it doesn't maybe go as well or COVID hits or something so regular giving is kind of like really good and that the charities go okay from one percent last and um, last quarter we had this much so next quarter we're probably going to have that much or hopefully a bit more and and they can actually plan ahead with yeah. that funding yeah they can rely on it yeah yeah and in that kind of growth space, I saw that you'd launch, you've launched business giving. So that's so that like a business, do they kind of in the same way uh, pledge to contribute like, you know, 1% of their profits or something? Like do you apply the same kind of model of small giving to the business side of things? Yeah, pr- pretty much. Like we, we don't set the rules too much. I mean, even for, you know, everyone signing up normally, we don't kind of say, show us your tax bill and prove prove how much you earn. <laughs> you know, it's completely yeah. up to you what your 1% is. Um, 
we know a lot of people you know give to us and they give to other charities so so the same with businesses it's really that we had quite a lot of small businesses who um either didn't have the time or kind of were getting too many kind of um, charity requests through the email or phone calls and they they wanted to just streamline that process by um setting up a regular you know monthly donation um, so that they could know that they are actually giving back but they didn't have to deal with the whole admin side of um of choosing and dealing with too many phone calls and emails so so yeah we we kind of we haven't done a we've kind of done a soft launch of it we're just doing a bit of a survey actually kind of in the next few weeks to learn a bit more so we can make a few tweaks before we do a bigger push but even just softly launching it and having it on a website we've already seen quite a few um, kind of small to medium-sized businesses um signing up and um, which is awesome because then we kind of get to learn their story as well and um, and you know what whether they're whether it's a product or a service, we kind of uh, yeah, get some interesting insights into what people are up to, what some of these new adventures are. Mm, that's great because, it, yeah, it just applies the same logic to, you know, a different kind of type of donor, but it totally works in that context as well, especially in the, like, making it easy space because I think often when you're in business, like, you'll know it's like you've got so many things at the back of your mind. You're like, oh, I really need to... I really need to sort out something for our giving. Like we're not giving back enough. We need to do that. But but actually making it happen on a long to do list is quite hard. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Right? Usually, especially when you know you're in those early early days, it does often yeah get keeps getting pushed to the bottom of the list. So uh, yeah, so we we try and simplify that. And we kind of said like you know running a business is, is packed packed full of challenges and I imagine for you you know running this as a charity is likewise packed full of challenges and and long to-do lists like what have you found has been like the most kind of maybe surprisingly challenging thing about what you've done with one percent good question I think for us um it's probably that we we're not kind of like your traditional charity that's on the ground creating the impact you know and um, whether we're schools feeding kids and supporting supporting those at risk of homelessness you know we're not the ones doing that we're the ones inspiring generosity so it's actually really hard to get like grants and funding for our model Mm. and so when when we launched it was kind of like all excitement of you know okay this is this is cool it's working let's work on the design the logo and let's do this and then you kind of get to that point of how on earth do we get the money to survive and make this work um and that that really has always been a challenge. I mean, we're we're pretty we're in quite a nice place now, in that we've kind of built a few models. Um, back in the day, we did something called the Finding Forty, where it was forty people giving twenty dollars a week for a year. That gave us forty thousand to start um, One Percent Collective. Mm, that's cool. Um, yeah, my friend helped me with that model. He kind of came up with it, and I started trying to approach rich millionaires and business people, and none of none of them replied, as you can imagine. <laughs> um, and then I just put the word out to friends, and do you know any rich people or or uh, you know business owners that might want to do this? It's twenty dollars a week, and my friends and family were like, "I'll do it. It's twenty bucks a week. I love you know I love this idea." Um, and that's that molded into the future 50 which is currently 50 people who give 20 dollars a week which gives us around fifty thousand a year and then um, we've got corporate sponsors on top of that so that's that's kind of how we survive and keep keep the keep the kind of um, the collective back in and admin and crew running um but it's it's yeah that's been probably the biggest challenge is just that sustainability 
in funding to be able to um, to be able to actually exist so that we can pass 100% on to the charities that we work with of the donations. Mm, keeping the lights on. Yeah, because yeah. it's quite interesting in that way that it is different again to like some charities that you'd see or, or like a not-for-profit, say, compared with the charity that, um, mm. you know, takes its running costs out of its donations, which is, you know, fine if that's the way that it has to happen, but it does it does make it quite a different ball game that you're trying to do like you're trying to yeah. run run yourself it's like a whole separate project you're like i've got to run this charity but then i've also got to get the money for the charity yeah, yeah. That, that's it so it's yeah so it's our, our early board meetings were always very kind of stressful and looking at the forecast and kind of freaking out about you know how's pat gonna eat this month <laughs> um you know and i i took a, i took pretty much 12 months of just volunteering no pay for anything and but you know it was kind of what had to be done as a startup that you just had to um you had to do it to kind of get through that period and then luckily we kind of worked it out from there mm. yeah because at the end of the day you do have to eat you know it does help you perform yeah. in the workplace yeah <laughs> it does it keeps you going <laughs> yeah and do you do other work and projects and things on the side of this or is this your full-time gig at the moment Yes, yeah, so I've actually over the years, um, my roles kind of changed in the way that um, early days I was doing around about four days a week, and then I was also doing freelance um, design and photography, um, and that that was probably for you know the majority of um, well, sorry the early days I was probably doing you know whatever I could and also trying to survive with other jobs, but through the middle the middle kind of phase of the past eight years it was um, probably doing about four days a week, and then a few years ago I always had usually another employee doing part time, um, so it's usually maximum being kind of two two of us quite often. Um, but a few years ago I decided to kind of do um, part time and bring two other. Um, people on to help me run and um, run basically the kind of storytelling and comm side of things and the operational side of things um, so that I could be freed up a little bit more to think about the kind of user experience, the vision, the charities, the next steps. Um, and then I, I started doing some work um, with Hatch. So um, who I know Kristen has been on um, has been on your show. Yeah, yeah, um, she has. yeah so, so I've been with Hatch almost a few years now. Um, and that's, you know, around, around about three and a half, four days a week with Hatch as the head of brand there. So that's, um, you know, beautiful crew. We've obviously grown hugely in the past, um, you know, year since yeah. COVID. It's just um, the, 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 the world and, um, yeah, the share markets have kind of gone, gone, uh, gone huge in terms of us as a platform. So it's, it's a nice balance in that having 1% and Hatch, it kind of keeps my brain challenged in many different ways. But, you know, it's a lot of similarities in that essentially we were looking at um, a collective of people who are involved and, you know, how can we give them the best user experience possible? Um, one is for investing in the share markets, one is for um, donating on a regular basis. Mm. So, so, yeah, yeah there's my... a nice synergy there. Yeah, that's nice. it. Um, so yeah, it keeps my brain full, and you know, Hatch. Mm. Hatch obviously, there's a, there's a crew of us. One percent, my two workmates, and one of them lives in Perth. One of them in Palmy. So one um, percent is more the quiet time, where it's kind of me and the cat and them on them on Zoom. Whereas Hatch is in the office with the crew there. So I get good good ver kind of uh, variety of work styles. Mm. Yeah, and that must be quite a challenge as well. Like you know, working four days somewhere like that's a big kind of investment of your emotional energy more than you know as well as your time uh and then trying to balance that with also running a charity and also just you know having a life is also nice a personal <laughs> life you know if you yeah. ever have time for that on the side 
yeah that's it uh, definitely you kind of have to balance things like i think last week was every single night there was something on you know not not all work you know something social as well but so i think on the weekend me and my partner are like right we're not doing a single thing we're just not seeing anyone we're just going you know running in the hills and we're just uh, <laughs> uh you know escaping the computer screens and stuff oh, so um sounds nice. so yeah it's 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 nice to you you have to kind of balance it up pretty well and you mentioned the impact of COVID with Hatch, which we talked about with them, and that's amazing. And I'm, I'm always interested in, in hearing about what the impact has been, because it's always different and unusual. And so I guess what, what has that been like for 1%? Has, I guess, you know, you'd kind of imagine like times for some people are quite hard right now financially. So have you seen that that has impacted on donations or anything like that? Yeah, it was actually really interesting because we went um... – you know, went into kind of lockdown, obviously freaking out as everyone was kind of going, what's going to happen? You know, everyone's going to stop giving. Um, and I called a board meeting. I think it was um, probably about a month into lockdown. We kind of just had a bit of a, you know, catch up on Zoom to see where everyone was at. And my board were like, oh, oh, here's this is where Pat's going to tell us that, like, we've lost half of our donors and all of our sponsors have pulled out and everything's, you know, kind of failing. And. But while we had a few sponsors having to kind of pause their contributions for a while, and um, in terms of donors, we we did have a few people dropping out, you know, only maybe kind of two or three percent, if that. But then we just started seeing more people joining and current donors doubling their donations, and we were like, wow, this is actually like kind of ramping up. So we, I think, we went into. Um, lockdown with probably like 580 ish people and um we're now um kind of in march this year we're kind of about to hit 700 people so we've kind of you know grown over that um time which we did not expect why do you have you like put some thought into why that was do you know why we we had quite a few people who um who, who gave us you know beautiful kind of comments and kind of testimonials just around how lucky they were and that they still had a job and that they knew not everyone was as lucky and they said it's ideal it's an ideal time for them to give back and and so that was either new people joining or some of our current donors who yeah were just saying hey you know i've got a job i'm fine you know let's just here we go double my donation because i want to help those people who aren't in, in such a good um, situation so it was, yeah, it was really beautiful kind of hear, hearing that. And also I think we find like, um, even like in um, Google search, we find a lot more people joining through um, through search. So kind of showed that, you know, that people are probably kind of going, you know, giving to charity NZ, like how to support charities in NZ and kind of seeing us coming up. Um, so it was quite nice kind of, yeah, just thinking that people were looking at how they could actually support the community, obviously, during that past the past year. That's really interesting. Yeah, I think there's an element of that from, especially during that lockdown period, it was kind of, it was, for some people, obviously it was different for everyone, but it was quite a mindful time. Like it really, because all of our worlds really shrunk down in size, it, it brought certain things into focus and you had more mm. time to think about things. And, and yeah. especially, you know, hearing all these stories about, you know, yeah, people losing their jobs and businesses struggling and everything, it, it did make you feel really lucky if you were, you know, lucky enough to be unscathed from it all. So it's really cool yeah. that you've seen the effect of that. Yeah. That, that's it. And especially with people, you know, not traveling. And mm. it was kind of like a lot of people were actually saving money. So it was, was. like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
perfect time. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And I guess like for your charities as well, like on the other end of it, the people that you support, your 14 charities, they probably needed support more than ever in, you know, in the last year or so. Yeah, that, that's it. I mean, you look at food organizations like Kibosh um, and Fair Food um, up in Auckland, you know, Kibosh and Wellington, they, they've had their kind of team or oh, the amount of work they've had to do has grown immensely, which um, which obviously, you know, is, is actually a, ba- a bad thing because more people need their support, which, um, you know, the dream is that people don't need to um, support with food and they're able to um, this doesn't need to happen but they said yeah unfortunately there's more need out there but we've actually had so many businesses coming in and supporting giving us more food to help those in need so um so yeah as much as as much as growth growth in that way is bad you don't want it they were at least getting incredible amounts of support from the community to help people Mm. oh that's so great yeah it's really cool to hear yeah just how it affects everyone differently and and it's so great that you guys have come out you know come out on the good side of things and it's going well and do you have any other kind of future growth plans in the works that you can that you can tell us about i know you can't yeah but we're, we're kind of exploring options like essentially we've been you know built this beautiful regular giving platform that um most of our donors and um, give through automatic payments and whereas most people would assume it's credit cards credit cards are such a tiny thing for us um, and that's kind of why we had to really build a custom platform we've been lucky enough um, to have a volunteer julian at a thousand minds who for about five years has volunteered just uh, so many hours to build this beautiful platform that runs the whole of one collectors back end and um, and so for us the next step is kind of we're just going okay like what's the next phase with that platform with supporting more organizations with making the regular giving experience even easier and how can we really reach more people so that it is um, something that as we kind of talked about earlier just that easy easy way that people can give and get on with their lives how can we get in front of more and um, more people and ensure that actually more charities are getting that that regular support and um, to keep doing what they're doing oh sounds good i will keep an eye out yes <laughs> it's all, all fun meetings <laughs> yeah <laughs> cool all right well we've hit our time so we will wrap up but before we go i always like to to suck a bit of wisdom out of people so get a bit of advice or maybe a tip i imagine from your one percent journey and all of these other amazing things you've worked on over the years you've got some good wisdom stored away in there so what can you share with us well i think that i kind of always go back to something you know my mum taught me when i was when i was young and it was um that the worst they can say is no and then that's kind of driven me for a lot of what I do is that um, there's no harm in reaching out to people and asking something. You may not be asking a huge thing. You may be asking to interview them, you know, for a podcast or for a magazine or something. And I, I've done that over the years and we've managed to get people like Seth Godin and Amanda Palmer and Jodie Pickle and Flight the Concords. And that was just by shooting them an email and saying would you be interested in doing an interview about generosity um, and it's the same with so many things that i find that you um that a lot of people do reply even if they can't do anything quite often you do get an, a, a beautiful little reply so um so yeah that's my biggest thing it's just you know shoot an email tell people that you love what they're up to um, and if, if there's a little ask in there then they might get back to you but if not just tell them you love them you know it's a podcast you admire just email the host and say 
just love what you do because obviously that's that's feedback and that you know we don't always get people may think it but they don't often express it to us it's such a powerful thing there was um, a podcaster i love who i shot an email to one time just saying how much i love what he did and he actually replied and said pat i was actually on the verge of thinking about stopping this because i'm having a tough time your words were just such beautiful timing and of course all i did was say i love your show but the timing was just perfect so i was like oh wow that was really an incredible response. Oh, that's beautiful. I, and I yeah. personally do in, in, endorse and support this, giving nice feedback. Yes. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, I'm invested in that one. But I think overall that advice is fantastic because I think often people are like, you know, we have like an innate fear of rejection, right? So, and that's like goes back, you know, to our beginning. I think, you know, no one wanted to be kicked out of the tribe and all of that. But I think that just putting yourself out there is the most valuable tool to have. And just to be able to like, ask people for help, especially at the moment with how lucky we are to have the internet and Instagram. And you can just, everyone is so accessible now, right? Like there's no reason that you can't talk to you know people overseas and ask them to help and things so i think that's great great way to take that's us it. out <laughs> thank, thank you. you and as well before we finish i'll get you to do a quick shout out how can everyone listening find out more about one percent and join in with what you guys are doing awesome so it's pretty much one percent collective.org all spelled out as words no numbers or <laughs> symbols in there um and yeah as i say it's kind of three or four minute sign up if that and um, there's no there's no minimum amount we have people given two or three dollars um, uh, a week or you know thousand dollars a month it's really it's totally uh, totally whatever and um, you feel your one percent is that you'd like to give on a regular basis perfect oh that is so good and i full disclosure i'm not a donor at the moment but i am 100 percent sold so i am going to be going on there and i'll make sure that i share it on social when i do so you guys can see how easy it is and i will go and sign up and be part of the gang because i just think ah, it's fantastic awesome thank you thanks so much and thanks for sharing the story with us pat love what you guys are doing well there you go i give you your feedback i love what you're doing well done <laughs> perfect thank thanks, you Grace. Pat. bye <laughs> see you told you it would be a good story and pat 100% delivered don't you think if you're inspired like me to sign up you can head to 1%collective.org and join the gang i will be sure to pop the link to that in the show notes and i'll put it on my website as well remember like pat said that you can totally choose what amount you donate and it only takes like three or four minutes to sign up You can also keep up with what Pat and his team are up to over on Instagram at 1%NZ. I'll see you there. Until next time, bye.